I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. I'm Matt Davis, welcome back to Parts Unknown, the wrestling podcast that's yet to sell its soul to an oil-rich Arab kingdom newly flush with a $64 billion entertainment budget, but is still open to offers for sponsorship. Email our man David on sales at muddyneesmedia.com if you're interested. Anyway, this week we're continuing our WrestleMania Rewind, and we're in the MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, or New York as WWE likes to pretend, for WrestleMania 29. Rock and Cena are headlining a game. We've also got The Undertaker going up against CM Punk and Triple. Triple H is taking on the beast, Brock Lesnar. Lock with me in the studio from which there is no escape unless you exit through the door or climb over the top, and even then there will be some dispute as to whether you got out first. Carrie Dunn. Hello. Anton Tolui. Hello there. And Karl Anker. I guess one knee equals two feet. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so we're recording this a few days after the Greatest Royal Rumble, hence that uh, what we think is quite topical reference at the top, but might not be when you hear this. You start for ten people. What does that abomination in Saudi Arabia have in common with Mania 29, which took place on April the 7th, 2013th? That's right. No ladies on the card. Carl, I followed your advice and uh, donated to try and reset my moral compass uh, to make me feel better about watching GRR. How are you feeling? Dirty? Like I had a greasy burger. Just like, yeah, yeah, I guess I'm full and sated, but probably shouldn't do that more than once a month. Quite right, Anton. It was quite convenient having it at five o'clock in the afternoon. That was the, the positive that I could draw from it. I felt like if I was a woman, every, everything about that show was aimed at me for, to, just to like it, because it was not only was it obviously there were no women on the card, it was a, you know, promoting a country with various reprehensible laws and customs, but also the fact they also went with the whole sort of anti Iranian sentiment, which I'm half Iranian, and also they brought back Hornswoggle, so we're laughing at little people again. It's like, oh, how much more are you going to throw at me and make me my head explode? I can't, I can't take this. Carrie, did you watch it? I did not watch it. Do you Why would I know watch what it? happened? Oh, I don't care. This is a show that wasn't meant for me. They don't want, they don't want women watching. It. They didn't want women in the arena unless they're accompanied by a male guardian. No, bollocks to it. I'm not watching it. Quite right, too. Um, you didn't miss much. It was a glorified house show. Um, looking forward to the next nine years, though. You know, we're back once a year. Should be, uh, should be, should be quite something. It's certainly worth Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross's while uh, flying all the way out there to speak for 15 minutes. Well, I mean, they had a lovely time, didn't they? A little jolly on the way there. And what is it they said in the, in the kickoff show? Well, the food's great. Well, well, thanks for summing up Middle Eastern culture as well. Why don't you just insult the entire Middle East while you're there as well? Oh, just. Everything about it just made me feel really uncomfortable. It's, I hate it. I hate feeling embarrassed as as a wrestling fan. And this was everything that a, that wrestling that people see as wrestling and see a negative in wrestling. And it just made me feel so embarrassed and uncomfortable. What makes me more embarrassed is that they try to cover it up by saying they're trying to bring cultural change. 
How are you bringing cultural change exactly? You're basically kowtowing to a culture that has already, as you could say, has got an oppressive regime that is restricting women's ability to actually go to public leisure events. How is this different from the England Rebel Tours and cricket back in the 80s? It's a divisive regime where people aren't allowed to participate equally. It's absolute nonsense. It's just an excuse to grab a load of money. And I know WWE is a company and I know that's what it's there for. But you can't just then cover up saying we're trying to bring cultural change and this is how we're doing it, building bridges through our products. Absolute nonsense when Gatting said it in the 80s. Absolute nonsense now. The apology for Carmella was particularly interesting. So... Uh, during the show, they ran their promo tape for cross-branded pay-per-views, which shows superstars from both Raw and SmackDown. Uh, and partway through, Carmella appeared in the video, which played in the stadium, and there were noticeable catcalls from, from the crowd, and WWE had to issue a statement. I want to use the word apologising. They admitted it was a mistake. Yeah, that's that's the word they that's what that's the phrase they went with in terms of it wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, and the whole thing, it's just awful. And the whole point is, going back to what Carrie was saying, effectively, it's really weird when you, when you meet w, the people from WWE and you get to know them, because I genuinely believe that a lot of them do feel they are doing the right thing by going in, by trying to get there, you know, early and sort of, they, you know, slow process to build change. And I think it's weird in terms of people believe that mantra and they believe they're doing that. But actually what they're doing really is getting in at, well, the, bo- the market's at the bottom because, you know, if, if women do become on the bill or WWE gets more popular, then they own, they own that, that market. That's all. That's all they're really doing. So they're effectively selling out their women, women's division for a greater market share in, in the Middle East or certainly in Saudi Arabia. Also, you know, one thing that gets lost over here is, oh well, they're doing great things in the Middle East. Saudi Arabia doesn't speak for the Middle East. Saudi Arabia speaks for Saudi Arabia. You know, and you can explain. We know why. One of the reasons why Sami Zayn wasn't on the bill, for, for example, you know, with Syrian roots, all the work he does in Syria and Syria and and Saudi Saudi relations are well, they're just a mess since since 2012, since since the war. So in terms of they don't speak for the Middle East. They speak for themselves, and they always have. In terms of, so we're not we're not even shining a light on the region. We're shining a light on one country whose practices we shouldn't we shouldn't feel comfortable with. No, and we don't. That was the greatest Royal Rumble. I don't think any of us will ever look back on it with any fondness or revisit it. And maybe that's something we can say about WrestleMania 29 again. The closest that a lady got to the ring here was in the tag titles match between Team Hell No and Biggie and Dolph. AJ Lee was uh, Dolph's second, if you like, in this. Carrie, you wrote a paper about women in WWE and the use of AJ features very prominently in that. God, I forgot how gross the whole crazy chick thing is. And particularly in retrospect, now that she's kind of written about her mental health stuff and the bipolar diagnosis, the fact that they were actually drawing on that storyline, I don't know how much she was involved in that, but watching it with that knowledge makes me feel incredibly uneasy. And the way they use AJ across these WrestleManias, this little batch we've just, we're going to talk about, is just really strange indeed. They use her in a horrible, horrible way and an inconsistent way, but all the ways in which they do use her are horrible. Jerry Lawler makes a comment about AJ Lee saying she's been on more manhunts than the FBI. Yeah. That's one of Jerry Lawler's stock. Yeah, he used it in the, the mania before, doesn't he? As he well, used yeah. it in the exact mania before in reference to Eve. That's one of his stock. Lol, mm. you've been a valet for many men. He's not a king. I refuse to call him <laughs> a king as long as this show continues. It is odd in terms of they effectively... I hate the word promiscuity because there's nothing wrong with just having previous partners. But in terms of that's that's obviously questioned by the the men the men on commentary, and then oh let's just throw in some some faux mental health issues as well, can we? I mean, we're just like, what what this is this is horrible. I remember feeling horrible at the time, but now you're just things sitting there going, this isn't this isn't right. Why is no why is nobody 
doing anything about this? Why is? And we'll get. We're going to get on something later in terms of why don't people call things out for what they are. Um, which I think is probably my theme of, of this WrestleMania, which again we'll, I will explain a bit later. But in terms of, I've got no problem with people being outrageous if we call them out for being outrageous, and that's the problem. No one ever does, and it's just that's that's how these things become the norm and it becomes acceptable. Yeah, not much accountability if you're um, well liked in WWE. Certainly, if we go on to um, the matches, then match of the night probably Punk versus Undertaker. Producer Ben thinks the build to this was great with all the Paul Bearer stuff. Presenter Matt thought it was gross. Panelist Carrie, where do you stand? No, I loved it. I'd forgotten how much I loved it. Uh, watching it again, and I remember having been shocked when I first watched it. I'm, I was a huge CM Punk fan at the time, and even I was kind of thinking, this is really on the edge, but it's great to watch. I thought it was a fantastic build. Um, Carl, do you think that Undertaker was okay with it? We know it came out later that William Moody, a.k.a. Paul Bearer's kids, weren't particularly happy with all the silly stuff with the urn and Paul Bearer's ashes coming out in the build and all this kind of nonsense. Is, is that just par for the course sports entertainment or is that something that, that grinds your gears I loved it watching it I loved it watching it back this is the first Wrestlemania I watched as a following pay-per-views from month to month and I was I was all in on CM Punk and uh, watching it back this is this is his Wrestlemania main event he really really difficult thing about Wrestlemania 29 is the final hour is just a slog it is CM Punk versus Undertaker, then into Brock Lesnar versus Triple H, then straight into Rock versus Cena. And there's no palate cleanser. There's no anything. So by the time you get to partway through Lesnar Triple H, you're exhausted and the crowd is exhausted. But this match is amazing. You get the In Living Colour entrance. And I remember watching, being on Twitter when Living Colour started playing and a lot of people, Living Colour are black? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, and Punk being quite happy with his WrestleMania entrance. And it made me sad because he didn't quite realise that's his WrestleMania entrance. Um, it's a great match. It, it, it's so fantastic. I forgot the finish, even though I know Taker's supposed to win. I watched it again. And, oh, knee fall. And uh, God, I miss him. Well, they achieved what was so difficult at that time to actually make you believe that the street might be broken, which which hadn't been the case really for a couple of years, maybe. Um, Heyman's chatter, I thought, great in the middle of this match. Kept telling Punk, you're a half a second away, mm-hmm. you know. this You're getting closer and closer. It's momentum. You're building momentum. Um, Carl mentioned Anton about it being effectively the main event. Uh, event. Um, Punk on that infamous Colt Cabana podcast said he got backstage and all the agents told him, hey, that was the match of the night. And he said, well, my pay better reflect that then. He was really, really bitter about never headlining a, a WrestleMania CM Punk. Well, this was a kind of performance to, to stick it to them for, for not doing that, do you think? Wholeheartedly, because actually, if you w- watch this match back, this is where Taker's sort of powers start to wane. And it's Punk who gets him through the match. People forget how acrobatic and how brilliant Punk is in terms of a pro wrestler at martial arts. So in terms of for him to actually come in and, and sort of, you know, when he uh, kicks out of, uh, I can't remember which movie it was, with a, with a spinning heel kick, you're like, how's he, how's he done that? And you didn't question Taker's ability throughout the whole match because Punk was so good. And that's that's what was brilliant. I'm a huge, I'm same as you guys. I'm a huge punk fan. And watching the VT at the beginning, in terms of seeing the dastardly things he did to to Undertaker with Bearer, with getting Heyman dressed up as Paul Bearer, um, and Heyman throwing the ashes on. I mean, it was all right, fine. It was it was kind of distasteful, but it was also. But that's what he, Punk was so good at being a heel. But that's he was probably the only guy in the company that could get away with that in the last five or ten years. So I, I got no problem with that. And and as soon as he said the words, "It's clobbering time," I felt like. 
I did that on that night again, watching it back. I was like, oh, I miss him so much. And so, when yeah. he roared when The Undertaker's bong hit as exactly. well, that was a, a really good camera shot of that. Of it. They, they synced it up perfectly. And, we... and Carl's right, the, the finish was great. Yeah. The go, the go to sleep into the, into the pile driver was, was Yeah, brilliant. the reversals, the fact that punk hits are old school, the bit where Taker he springs back up spot is done to perfection. The, Some... the elbow drop from the, yep. from the, from the top. Something from the top I really think about is how this, I consider this the main event. Out of 29 and a lot of things in the Cock Cabana podcast were Punk having frustrations at the fact that he couldn't do stuff as a full-timer that part-timers were doing and then the very next match you see Brock Lesnar come out and he's got sponsorship on his tights which is one thing Punk wanted that he couldn't get and the next thing you see is John Cena and The Rock just doing all sorts of cartoony wrestling which Punk was like well why can't I do that and I just like oh mate and you know the fact that for a long time the final match the main event used to be the title match and then at Wrestlemania 33 you see Roman Reigns versus The Undertaker as your main event I'm like ah come back don't come back you've been concussed a lot but come back (laughs) (laughs) Um, the longest match of the night no prizes for guessing uh, who was half of it our good friend Paul up against a young and sprightly Brock Um, Brock in the build up been breaking people's arms uh, including Shawn Michaels who who came here came out to the ring here in his his sort of welly slash cowboy boots the stip was that if Trips lost his in-ring career would be over Um, other than this was a very long match, has, has anybody got much to say about it? Was it was it a case of um, Carl that the crowd didn't buy into it and that hurt it, or was it the quality of the match that was what made it seem a little flat? The stipulation suckled the air out the room. A couple months previous, Triple H had had a match with Brock Lesnar and lost. I think it was at SummerSlam. SummerSlam, yeah, and, and he, he, and he waited much, in the ring at the end for everybody to applaud him, and yeah, very much trying to be like, "This is my retirement match, goodbye." And the crowd is outwardly rejecting him because he's a heel. Um, Interesting thing about this, this is the last time I've seen babyface Triple H at WrestleMania. Oh, God, he doesn't do it well. Um, no, Triple H should never be at WrestleMania as 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 a babyface. He's a heel. He's the cerebral assassin. Triple H has this thing, and it, it's especially worse the closer he is to Shawn Michaels, where he gets very Michael Bay-like, and everything has to be epic and huge and towers crashing and tidal waves and volcanoes, and it's rubbish. You should just be in and out, brawling stuff. I am the thing that has to be overcome for the other wrestler to do this, which is why Triple H, when he's doing stuff with Ronda Rousey or Seth Rollins or XYZ, is really interesting because I'm something you have to get past. When Triple H is just the, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do the daring good. Look, I'm King Arthur this time. I don't care. And also, we hadn't quite figured out what to do with Brock Lesnar at this point in time as well. Yeah, I was going to say, Anton, this was... Um a Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania match that sits somewhere in the middle, I would say, the ones that he's had since he came back. Obviously, you know, you look at the sort of Ambrose car crash and, and Reigns from this year, but then the Reigns good match that he had. Um, he was putting the effort in here. He was motivated, but it just didn't quite click for some reason. You had a couple of classic Brock. I mean, the match started well. I mean, Brock puts Triple H through a table relatively early and, you know, there's kind of... These two work best when they're outside of the ring in terms of when they're two physical competitors... And then the match just just gets so slow when Triple H comes back into it, and this is where it all starts to go wrong. The intensity goes, and so you're not in, you're not invested, you're not really emotionally invested in either character anyway. As kind of Carl was alluded to there. So why am I why am I watching this? You know, second the penultimate match of the night. Why am I really really excited? I'm not. I've lost all excitement straight away if you're not putting each other through tables and you know beating the crap out of each other. Brock did his usual thing, you know. He sold the Kamora lock with, you know, his face went red and that. And so, yeah, there were there was t- some typical Brock spots because he is good. 
And, you know, people detract him all the time, but he's very good at what he does, not just sort of as a devastating force, but also just, you know, he knows how to sell a match when he's into it. So he's a really good seller. Yeah, exactly. He can really sell and bump when he wants to and if he likes you. Um, it's just when he wants to and when he likes to is rapidly decreased. <laughs> My The one thing I'll take from this match, this is the only WrestleMania match of recent history where Triple H actually knows how to use a sledgehammer. <laughs> Genuinely, the others, they, it all, as soon as you got the, the sledgehammer comes out, it all goes wrong. And it goes wrong when he initially brings it out, and then he eventually gets it in, in Brock's face, and that's the turning point in the match. This is Genuinely, the only time he knows how to use his defining weapon, which makes you think, put it away! Put it away! <laughs> oh, Sting couldn't use his baseball bat either. <laughs> um, Carrie, last question on this. Triple H... Would this have been a better match if he had slimmed down rather than looked to try and match the bulk of Brock? So maybe you could have flown about the ring a little bit more, or is that an easy accusation to throw at Triple H these days? Uh, yeah, I think that's probably uh, probably quite a straightforward way to th- approach it. But he, he wouldn't have done that, and the match wouldn't have been any different, I don't think, because he, even if he had looked more of a contrast, he would still have behaved in exactly the same way i mean literally my only note on this i've just written triple h is doing triple h things i don't even know what i mean by that but take whatever you want from it so from there we go to what was the the headline match of the night uh once in a lifetime turned into twice in a lifetime as john cena took on the rock for the title Uh, this was not a wrestling clinic but were you sports entertained carl no um so uh, one the uh, wow, the brass neck of WWE to blame the loss to The Rock for John Cena's marriage collapsing. Uh, <laughs> classic John Cena. Uh, that, is, that is classic John Cena. The I remember watching going, what? He, I, mean, I mean, we know the reason why his marriage collapsed. It's not lost to The Rock that made you do that. Um, and we can't really talk about this match without mentioning the fact that partway through The Rock has the most devastating injury where he tears his pelvic muscle clean off the clean bone. Clean off the bone, yeah, yeah. Uh, Serious surgery he had as a result. And it was quite early in the match as well, yeah. wasn't it? Which makes you wonder why they didn't uh, call an audible and shorten it. Is that is that just tough guy pride from The Rock? Is that just, hey, we've still got another 20 minutes to fill here? So I've met The Rock and I'd asked him about it and he very much worked me something fierce when he tells me the story about what happens whatever whatever like dead eyes and brother like fix me in loads of brother this is a film junket talking about another movie kevin hart's in the room kevin hart's like well he's gone he's gonna talk he's gonna talk to this mark about this thing and the way he tells it that he had no choice but to continue for an extra 15 minutes and just power through and blah 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 blah. um yeah it's it's cartoony it's it's wrestlemania 6 um i'm not particularly interested in it um, what I will notice the injury caused massive reshoots on the Hercules movie as well which is why now The Rock is far too expensive to insure in future, for like future appearances so this match not only is it a bit of a dud at Wrestlemania 29 but it's caused The Rock to be a bit of a dud in future Wrestlemania's because he can't do anything anymore because he's too expensive to insure yeah it hasn't worked for Eric Rowe in that really has it after the, uh, the six <laughs> hey, seconds hey, he's, he's got it hasn't stopped now. Rock make, from, from making terrible action films either so nobody <laughs> won out of this did they let's be honest um Anton, the closing image is Rock basically endorsing John Cena in a way that he tried to do for Roman Reigns a couple of years later that didn't work. Um, what, how did that sit with you? Is, that, is it just a case of, well, Rock's not bothered anymore, he'll do to, to a large extent what Vince asks him to? Or had there been some sort of 
was there some sort of tacit admission there that because it got quite personal for them in, in the build-up the previous year was it okay maybe you're not as bad a guy as I thought you were I, for me it was two multi-millionaires standing in the ring going we can have had as much hype as we could if, it had, if we had fought anybody else thanks a lot for the payday thanks a lot for everybody cheering thanks a lot for the media interest I'm going to walk away that's that's how it felt to me. Scathing. In terms of, you, you didn't need the market respect. If if it was a market respect after WrestleMania 27, he'd have you know instead of going back in and slamming the Miz, he'd have he'd have gone right. You're the future heel. You're the guy I'm going to get behind. True. Uh, yeah, otherwise, he'd have he wouldn't have buried other people at future WrestleManias in six seconds. This isn't. This was. Why does these, Don these are two, These are two guys with huge egos, just going. No one else can do what we can. No one else has a mainstream appeal. Like let's 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 just enjoy this moment for ourselves. Why does Don Cena need the the wink of approval in 2013 like he's he's won everything he's a two he's a two-time Royal Rumble winner he's a at this point in time a 13 possibly 14 time world champion with that title when he doesn't need someone to go in the ring going yep no, but I think what Anton's saying is, is it's the mainstream side of it isn't it it's at that point where Cena's looking to launch his kind of oh, mainstream no. media career yeah. and his films and stuff so that's what The Rock's bring. That that's the rub The Rock is giving to him isn't it essentially and that's we see that terrifying. carried on now because Cena is going to be in a Rock produced film so they've clearly patched <laughs> patched it up and, and, and are endorsing one another um, ad nauseum and I, I emphasise the word hope, nauseum I really hope they have a third fight behind closed doors that ends with a freeze frame and then it turns into a painting <laughs> <laughs> down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Parts Unknown. So this is WrestleMania 29 we're talking about. It would have cost you $70 if you lived in the US and wanted to purchase this in HD, which is quite an extraordinary thing to hear in uh, 2018 when you think that they basically give away every show that they've got to new subscribers. Elsewhere on this not very memorable card, Mark Henry versus Ryback. Uh, They had a match that was like, it was sort of, played on half speed I felt there was lots of stomping around the ring I'd forgotten how unintentionally amusing Ryback is uh, his, just from his outfit to the constant feed me mores in his music um, that guy that guy Skip imagine, Sheffield imagine Ryback at Wrestlemania <laughs> he, he actually was at Wrestlemania he had a match at Wrestlemania he was over 
And was he was. He? Was he? He's he over. Was. He's over. He was for a bit. Once they got the Goldberg stuff out of their system, um, he, he definitely was. But, I mean, this, this was like... Vince McMahon's favourite kind of WrestleMania match, I think, and that's why it was on. Um, was there any enjoyment for you in it, Carl? <laughs> no, no. This is, one of, <laughs> this is one of the worst. It's it's uniquely bad. Um, so as we we go back in time, uh, we're going to see move catalogs get a lot smaller and, and different. So eventually we're going to start talking about WrestleMania so people stop doing sling blades and start doing pile drivers, which I'm looking forward to. And this is like a throwback to way back to single digit WrestleManias where people were impressed by a body slam. Um, so, so it's uniquely bad for 2013. Um, but yeah, I found Ryback hilarious. I, I find Tweet Tweet Delete was was a great little gimmick he had going on. I think his podcasts are like really funny, especially how he has zero self-awareness. Um, so if you listen to him talk about AJ Styles and how Vince once told him, you're going to come in and you're going to beat up that TNA tiny guy, AJ Styles, and you're going to be the big champion. Like, <laughs> This conversation clearly never happened. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Mark Henry won this match, Anton, but I was more distracted by the uh, crowd chanting sexual chocolate. Um, any of our listeners who weren't around for that glorious period, can you can you fill them in on how well, the sexual chocolate gimmick f- f- works? First of all, I've got Lump versus the Chump in this, in this match <laughs> to, to describe it in my notes. Um, sexual chocolate was... What we're talking ten years before, I suppose, in the whole you know Val Venusy era, where you know he was. Uh, let's what can we say? How can we put it? Should we put it crudely or not? Crudely. Just basically, he was black. Therefore, you know, let's 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 be attracted to the big attractive black man because he's, he's probably got one appendage that you know that that everybody can't talk about but secretly wants because ladies can't resist it. It's <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty grim, isn't it? Really, I um, found it hilarious. <laughs> But that's just me. <laughs> it was one of those um, periods where they just kept throwing a lot of stuff at Mark Henry, basically to try and get him to quit. Was my um, interpretation of it because they signed him to a ten-year contract, yeah. didn't they? And he didn't get over in the slightest. But here we are in 2018, and we've welcomed him into the Hall of Fame, and partly because of the the raging success that was Sexual Chocolate, and of course the fact that he impregnated a, an eight-year-old woman who ended up giving birth to an arm. Uh, Wrestling's weird, isn't it? I really love his fake his fake retirement speech where he's in a salmon coat and he talks about all the great characters he's had. And then someone makes a comment to the hand, he goes, No, not me, young dummy. <laughs> just like, no, that's the one bit I don't want to talk about. I have I've met Mark Henry a couple of times and the hand by the way, he is loved by WWE and he's kind of you know, he works basically for them now in the in the back office and does you know, he's the first person they go to when they need something charity related or need something he he was out in Saudi Arabia all week before the um before the rumble and that kind of thing. So it's weird in terms of he's went full circle in terms of I agree with you in terms of they threw so much at him in terms of so many terrible storylines and he just weathered it and got through it and actually became the ultimate company man. By finding everything funny, he finds everything funny and doesn't take it all too seriously. And he loves his job. He loves his job now, even though he's not in the ring. And it's, he's, he's a really engaging kind of... The sexual chocolate character was partly him as well. There's a lot of him in that in terms of you meet him and he's very, you know, he's... Let's just say he likes talking about women. He likes nightclubs. Yeah, exactly. He, that's he likes, that's, that's he fair. He likes nightclubs. Um, so yeah, it was all. It is bizarre how the you know, as we've mentioned before, how the lines blur. But and now he is a proper corporate Stamford, Connecticut man. It's all very odd. All <laughs> playing was great. Ooh, that was sweet. Yeah, that was a good gimmick. He's had, he's this, had this, this match open. though, effectively, right back gets a concussion, and then can't. Well, in terms of that, like in the storyline, doesn't he? Because he can't lift him up, and then the woozy right back drops Mark Henry on him. 
So again, you think so? And not only you should kind of show not really much regard for the match. You also just know no regard for head injuries, even fake head injuries that he's supposed to care about. It was all very weird. Elsewhere, the Shield beat Seamus, Randy Orton and Big Show in 10 minutes. Um, Seamus with his old music, looking a bit different. Randy Orton looking exactly the same. Uh, the Mania debut of the Shield in association with the numbers game, of course, which was uh, how it always worked for the Hounds of Justice, even when it was uh, a three-on-three match. This was all right. I mean, it had the 712th turn of Big Show's career, but it's nice to see <laughs> sort of early era, era Shield flying about the ring and doing stuff. Yeah, I feel like I've turned into the heart eyes emoji as soon as you started talking about this match. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. I loved it. And I just, watching it back and the commentary are trying to put over this idea so hard that people don't like the Shield. And they're getting such a pop from the crowd because people do like the Shield. And it's just so typical of the commentary at that point that they were trying to kind of force these ideas on uh, on, on who's listening. But um, yeah, I rolled my eyes at Lawler at this point. And also, <laughs> Big Show punching Seamus and Randy Orton. How is that supposed to be a heel turn? Precisely. <laughs> also, yeah, Orton point. costs in the match. His arrogance costs in the match. Too. Yeah, does it, well, he, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I've got. Uh, I agree with you in terms of the Shield, which is great, and there's such a breath of fresh air at the time. I think where they came into WWE, sort of, you know, up from NXT, and they just started invading and taking everything apart. It's like, great. Who's not going to like these guys? You can, you're completely right. Ambrose. He still, he still always looks a bit awkward. He looks like Gordon Gecko fucked a security guard in this because he's basically <laughs> just like even with, with the with the with the pad on with the slick back hair. He just looks very odd. I lo- absolutely loved it when Big Show takes his chest off, or takes his vest off his chest and just starts yes, beating him. Great. And then and then uh, Seamus does it to to Rollins. And just thinking that that's great. Now that's great. And Ambrose got a great body. You know, in terms of why why always hide it under under these. They're uh, all noticeably smaller. Yeah. In in that. In the same cool way that if you watch really early Attitude Era Edge compared to late stages, like, ah, you gain 20, 40 pounds worth of muscle. A bit like Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan is at least 20 pounds worth of muscle smaller in 29 than he is the next year. Um, yeah, I can't stop thinking about your comment, Gary, about how Roman Reigns doesn't have a character unless he's next to those two. He needs them. He needs them. They're brothers. Um, you mentioned the shirt thing. Um, yeah, I've written quite a lot about that. I quite enjoyed that. But <laughs> Ambrose, <laughs> Ambrose has talked about that, though. He says um, that if you're wearing kind of a shirt, when it gets torn off, it means more. So that when he is being wailed on by Big Show, that actually means something rather than, you know, happening from the start. So that was kind of the idea about it, as I understand it. Which is, I love it, yeah. Roman Reigns needs to get his tactical vest ripped off in a fight with Brock Lesnar. Enough of the remove gloves and do it. Just have Lesnar, take his shirt off. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, we all agree. It's fine. It's not weird. Yes, it's good. Uh, and, And a beautiful RKO to Rollins in this yes absolutely beautiful and obviously we see one a couple of years later which is even better but um, again it just shows the one thing that Randy can do and the many great things that Rollins can do in, literally in one move encapsulates that elsewhere we got the in-ring debut of Fandango in a match with Chris Jericho which happened because Chris Jericho didn't pronounce Fandango's name correctly um, that is that is actually what happened this was this was a real stinker, Carrie. Um, and you know, Chris Jericho at the time made it clear that he was not enamoured with the fact that he would be in this match, let alone the fact that he would be losing. It. Was he sulking here? Was that part of the problem? Is Johnny Curtis, aka Fandango, a limited wrestler? What's the what was the beef? 
I've got no idea. I haven't written anything about this. I remember vaguely watching it at the time, and I must have watched it again when I rewatched this, but I don't remember what happened, so I'm going to have to pass on this, I'm afraid. Carl Fandango's old valet was cool. She was a good dancer. She was. I was furious at this result when I watched it live. Furious. Uh, there was the... I like if if you go through my tweets and search Fandango, there are at least three different points between 2013 and the present day where I'm like, just thought about Jericho versus Fandango and just got annoyed all over again. <laughs> um, one of the guys I was watching with there goes, he's just debuted this kid in the biggest stage of them all, and he's won. Is uh, Vince McMahon Arsene Wenger? And I burst out laughing. <laughs> um, Fandango, Anton, yeah. he strikes me as a bit like Zack Ryder in that a lot of talent calls come around and you think, oh, Fandango's still there. What, why is that? Well, I've, 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 my notes about this match, I've got like four bullet points. One is he's got the word Kevin written on his wrist strap, which is nice because his friend who he trained with when he was, when he was uh, t- uh, late teens, early, early 20s, uh, died in a car crash. So he kind of clearly dedicated the match to him. So I thought that was nice. Um, <laughs> most of them about the entrance. He licks, his, he licks the top, from the top of his fingers all the way down his palm and then slides his hand down his oily chest towards his crotch in the most vulgary kind of... You can imagine him just sort of sidling up to one of the dancers he's with and just saying something horrifically inappropriate at some point. That's what he was. That's That was his character. Again, so I, can't, I actually shuddered and then thought, oh, that's actually quite well done, mate. Then they get in the ring, have a silly match. Jericho makes himself bleed because he hits him with a, with a co-breaker so hard he cuts his own head. <laughs> so that sums up how much Jericho is into it. And it was just very, very silly. And... It's not. It didn't. Bizarrely, it wasn't the worst thing on the bill of the night for me. That was that's that's the one thing it should be, but it wasn't. And I will never forget that hand lick and slide. It was just grim. <laughs> well, I think we might segue now into what could possibly be the worst thing on the night, and that is a match which has not aged well. I think it's fair to say Alberto Del Rio versus Jack Swagger. Um, this whole act, pretty pretty tasteless, pretty unpleasant, pretty. Pretty WWE in a way, I suppose. It's peak WWE of this genre. The whole uh, use of the nationalism thing. Um, I've actually given a lecture on this and I have like video clips and stuff. And it's so weird that WWE never seem to realise that their bizarre nationalism doesn't work outside of the country they're doing it in and it makes other people in other countries who are watching it globally feel really uncomfortable and they have never ever grasped that i don't understand why i don't know whether they just don't care or they don't understand people's different mindsets we just put into context actually what Colter says so i think it's important he says that new york was a cesspool of illegals and criminals yeah um, snuck across the border speaking spanish italian greek or something called yiddish yeah you know you agree with me too and you're too afraid to say something too gutless to do something about it and i've got the thing is i've got like there are horrible people with these views in the world but the problem the thing is we all will just come out and say you're racist and nobody says that. And this is the problem. It's fine to mirror, to put a warped mirror, you know, to exaggerate what's going on in, in the real world, because that's one of the great things about wrestling. But call him out for what he is. Call him out for being a racist. Call him out for being xenophobic. Don't, don't just let him say his thing and then walk away. What's interesting at this point, though, is that um, uh, conservative talk radio hosts at the, at the time were understanding uh, 
Zeb Coulter as a heel, and they were complaining that they were being mocked and yeah. belittled on national TV. And there were some some really interesting clips on YouTube you can still find of Zeb Coulter breaking character, talking as Dutch Mantel about kind of building the character of Zeb Coulter and why they're doing that and how they're building that storyline. And it's really interesting to kind of look at the way that uh, he puts those promos together. And I've written, I remember thinking the story and these characters were really cleverly delineated at the time and I remember thinking that Coulter made an excellent job of it I think you're right in that it doesn't explicitly get called out but I think that there was kind of a subtext there at the time and then it kind of got brushed over and then we've got the Hall of Fame coming afterwards and there's actual Donald Trump getting inducted <laughs> yep. and you're just like I thought this was just a storyline I didn't think it was an actual premonition of what is going to happen to America three years later to, to implicit to make it implicitly bad well that's not that's not really good enough no. if, somebody, if somebody stand up standing against something like Del Rio supposed to in this then he should stand for it as opposed to just well if I get the title that, that'll solve it and that's not that's not how these things work yeah, and, 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 and in terms of what they're what they afraid of are they afraid of just you know kind of annoying sort of you know one of these people who kind of talk show hosts or sort of the listeners of those to those radio programs that that may go and buy an andre the giant t-shirt from from wwe.com and that's you know in terms of, it's either have a complete storyline or don't yeah. that's that's my point carl a big it's not the most important thing in this at all but a big logic gap in him talking calling new york a, a cesspool of illegals and immigrants was the fact that the vast majority of the crowd wouldn't have been from new york they would have flown in from all over the world and all over america so you're not even getting the heat from the audience that you're necessarily looking for um and I guess another problem is that Alberto Del Rio, even though he was a face here, is not a likeable face. So he's not necessarily somebody who you want to see exact vengeance on this silly old racist. It's it's a match even weirder when you add in the context of Chris Christie being there and, and Donald Trump being put in Hall of Fame. And then you consider how Alberto Del Rio was fired the very first time from WWE for punching out the social media person for essentially saying, I'm not cleaning that up. That's the Mexican Alberto Del Rio's job. Um, it's a premonition and also just oh god why 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 uh, I once went to a house show in London and to Carrie's point about how this sort of xenophobia thing doesn't travel he Zeb Coulter made everyone put a hand on their chest and say I am a real Englishman and we were like oh, oh, oh god what <laughs> and I remember being in the crowd going oh oh oh, oh Brexit's gonna happen isn't it <laughs> Um, on the in terms of away from the the horrible angle of it, these two Alberto Del Rio and Jack Swagger, they've kind of not done what the likes of Drew McIntyre and Cody have done since they've left the company. It seems to me like they've not been able to advance their careers without WWE behind them. Would that be a fair assessment? I mean, Del, Del Rio is often his own worst enemy in, in terms of his personal life. I think that's the, the thing with Del Rio, isn't it? He seems to be slightly self-destructive in the, the way he runs his career. I don't know about Swagger. I think he's still doing some indie appearances, but he's never been the most charismatic. That was never his big calling card, was it? It was never the fact that he had a personality. It was his um, university wrestling and sports career so without WWE pushing that and no one really giving a shit about it what's he got? He had had to swallow a lot of bad storylines as well didn't he Swagger and this is just another one in terms of so maybe there was just too much of a stink on him so, and and I don't I don't think he goes does as many indie appearances as say Cody did when he went and that kind of thing so I think what do I know but in terms of if you go to the indies you've really got to work haven't you you've got to travel all the time and you've got to work week in week out and it's it's a, it's hard, a hard life. Hard, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, Jack Swagger had personal problems during his time with WWE. And, you know, if, if you don't want to get your head panned in, 
if in front of gyms of 200 people, you don't have to. Go go get a nice job wearing a suit every single day, mate. Well, we're wrapping up here now. Um, we've, we've alluded to it before, but we better mention the Hall of Fame. A case of the good and the bad, I would say. Mick Foley, Trish Stratus inducted by Steph, Bruno San Martino by Arnold Schwarzenegger, Booker T, Bob Backlund and Donald Trump, who called it the greatest honour of his life. And um, if only it had stayed that way for him. <laughs> Carl, what's your Donald Trump, Vince McMahon, exploding limo story? Um, the storyline that involves Vince McMahon's limo exploding. Always remember that after watching that live, uh, Donald Trump phoned up Stanford, Connecticut, just to make sure his friend was okay. Um, that's our president. Our president? Oh. Yeah, I guess. that's the leader of the free world, really. Um, something I commented on the, uh, previously is the fact that Donald Trump is president and that uh, Hulk Hogan killed Gorka. So when are we going to have a serious conversation about the threat WWE Hall of Famers are upon free speech and our liberties? Uh, well, I think you'll find earlier in the, in the pay-per-view that JBL says, we have freedom of speech in this country. Everyone loves freedom of speech until someone uses it, which I presume is actually JBL's view as opposed to that's, being that's scripted. Why, so yeah, that's why there you go. Sums it all up. Sums it all up there, doesn't it? Um, but this is a good Hall of Fame class. Let's, you know, other than... It's a sensational class with, with, with the celebrity exception. Yeah, exactly. I mean, also Trump got, Trump got booed. But I presume that's because of The Apprentice more than his actual sort of, you know, the crazy Republican beliefs. So this obviously takes a bit of a shine off it. But the rest of the class is... is I, I can't think of a better one. Um, if we were to find a WrestleMania moment from this WrestleMania, um, it, it's kind of difficult. Carrie, have you got one? Yeah, no. Apart from, well, apart from the children getting their shirts ripped off, but you know that's a little bit shallow of me, so I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Carl, uh, it's a Brock Lesnar scream. He does the Triple H outside the ring. It's one of the top four or five GIF searches if you search for Brock Lesnar. So he's in his red shirts and just barks really at Triple H. And Brock Lesnar's terrifying. The joke is, if you throw Brock Lesnar into a lion's den, he'll walk out with a fur coat. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anton, WrestleMania moment. Oh, it's the fan mango lick and slide. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to end. I think I'd probably go for, for Punk's reaction to the bong. I don't know why, but I just really like that. And there's a nice irony, Punk, Punk reacting well to a bong, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Is this maybe, uh, and you know now we complain about WrestleMania is way too long, like, at being five, six hours or whatever. Is this maybe um, an example of why it is quite good to have it that way? Because we've got those last three matches, all bang, 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 big matches in a row, no time to reset, not many video packages, um, no, you know, somebody coming out doing a song and dance or whatever. Is, is there an argument to say that actually it's quite a good thing for it to be as long as it is these days? These matches didn't need to be as long as they were, most of them. So you could have still had some of that kind of uh, kind of popcorn breaks or your celebrity guest stars coming on and saying hi and doing their backstage skits. I mean, yeah, it's too long. Too long. There's more variety these days, though. We have the women's matches, you have the cruiser matches, you have, like in terms, you have the, the battle royale, and there's lots more variety. I suppose this is just two big guys go and beat each other up, four big guys go and beat each other up, two big guys go beat each other up. And that's, you know, so in terms of, if it was any more than four hours, then it would have been, God, it would have been even worse. It was Wrestle-me-nia. 
Meh? Okay, meh, so-so. Pretty much the same thing. Next week is WrestleMania 28. Cena versus Rock. Once in a lifetime meeting. Undertaker versus Triple H at Hell in a Cell. And all 18 seconds of Sheamus versus Daniel Bryan. Carrie, if people want to keep up to date with what's happening in your world, how would they do that? On Twitter, at Carrie Sparkle. And Anton? At Sky Anton. (laughs) And Carl? At Anchorman616. Do remember to follow the brand at the PU Podcast. I'm at Matt Davis FC. Davis is D-A-V-I-E-S. And this has been Parts Unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.